It's Kitchen Table Spirituality, a weekly devotional. I am sitting here, hopeful, anticipating, full of breath, with Charlie Eastman, pastor of Pilgrim Congregational Church in Southboro, Massachusetts. Hi, everybody. Great to be here. Yes, uh, I'm here with Jonathan, the pastor of First Baptist Church in East Greenwich. Malone, Rhode Jonathan Island. Malone, just in case they, there's oh, other Jonathans sorry. out there. I would hate to hate to have any confusion that someone thinks another furtive Jonathan has slipped into the podcast. Well, every now and again, I look up other pastors whose first names have to be Jonathan, mm-hmm. and they're just not very good. Oh. I just don't want to be compared with them. So your brand is diluted by it their... It is, it is. And I think there's one other Jonathan Malone out there, but he writes um, these these conspiracy books about chemtrails. Oh, well, isn't that special? It's fun, that's for sure. There's another Charlie Eastman spelled C-H-A-R-L-E-Y, like my name, but he was a professor of Native American studies um, who wrote fascinating books about Native American persons and experiences. Anyway, that's the only other Charlie Eastman E-Y that I've found the the I'll take the chemtrails any day. Wow. (laughs) disturbing that you would run into the arms of the chemtrails. But anyway, yeah. hey, it's great to see you again. Likewise, it's good to see you. How's uh, things at uh, at First Baptist? Things at First Baptist are, are going very well. Uh, mm-hmm. We had a great Thanksgiving weekend, although, I, you know, we, we had a nice fellowship time on Thanksgiving, and this past weekend we had our coat drive, so we collected uh, 30 or 40 coats, which was actually mm-hmm. just wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Uh, this month, the focus is on adopting families. We have 14 families we'd like folks to adopt. Um, you know, we have a list of, of a wish list for Christmas gifts, you know, some things that are fun for the kids, some things that are necessary, those kinds of things. So let us know if you want to adopt a family or if you want to adopt part of a family. If one whole family feels overwhelming, there are, we have plenty of people we can share. It's quite a right. Uh, and the other, the, the big news to tell people is that we are going to be having, at least so far we're planning on having one in-person Christmas Eve service. And that'll be on Christmas Eve, the 24th, at Mm 5 o'clock. But you have to reserve a spot. You Mm -hmm. need to let us know ahead of time. And we can only take 40 people. Uh, So call the church office or email the office administrator to let us know if you want to reserve a spot for the Christmas Eve service. How how close to sold out is the event already? Uh, I mean, this is, we've just started. So there's not even 10 people who have signed up. Oh, boy. But once this once this kitchen table spirituality yeah. hits the airwaves like wildfire, yeah, this is our major marketing platform. Okay, how are things? Uh, so at so many questions Church? about yeah. adopting families. What is going on with that? Now, do you oh. do you have to take them through college or what's the? <laughs> I see what you're doing. I mean, this um, is heavy yeah, language. This is through. A, I know it's. It, do uh, they know they're being adopted? Yes, they do. Oh. And they're very thankful. And and they willfully enter into it. Yeah. And the nice thing, it's one of those adoptions that's only for a time being. Oh, it's a temporary adoption. Yeah. Yes. So you're really fostering a family. I know. That's what we should call it. But you're fostering them through Christmas. Yes. So ooh, that's a that's a tough time to take a whole family on. It is. And that's why if, you know, say the Malone family wants to um, partner with the Eastman family, maybe uh-huh. both of us together can foster one family. Ah, I see. So are they fostered in place? You don't bring them into your home? No, no. We get a Uh, list of of their wish list. Okay. This reminds me a lot of our Christmas Angels program, which is currently running, and uh, the deadline is approaching fast, where uh, we buy gifts for families at Christmas time. Yeah, that sounds like almost the same thing. 
Ah, oh, except so. So the adoption is purely fictive. It's, it is it's not a. It's not a thing. Well, right, we'll I'm, see. I'm I mean, schooled. it's always a let's see how it goes. <laughs> Maybe we like each other. Speed adoption. Yeah. <laughs> so, what are you into? <laughs> um, it sounded like I actually knew I'm what that's sorry, about. It's just when in not fact working out. Yeah, I'm going to move on. Okay. Um, how is uh, how are things at Pilgrim Congregational <laughs> they're Church? They're great. As I, as mentioned, the Christmas Angels program is is at work, so folks are buying gifts for families in need in our area. Um, it's a great chance to put feet to faith in a, in a concrete expression of God's love and being able to support folks in the holiday. So thank you to everyone who's already uh, participated, and thank you so much to our missions team for uh, taking care of that, nice. um, for administering it. Um, we had a wonderful time of fellowship on Thanksgiving, um, 7.30. We did our dessert hour. I'm not sure I saw anybody actually consuming dessert during the hour, but it was just nice. And I keep reminding folks, if you're not joining church Zoom social calls because you think you're Zoomed out, as in from work, it's just so different. Yeah, it is. It's such a different experience. We don't we don't relate on the same way, and it's it's fun and and feels great to just see everybody. And and after a day with your family, uh, it can be nice to widen the circle a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's very um, looking, true. Looking ahead, we've got another event on December 13th. We're going to do a cookie exchange. We're going to trim a tree outside and do some socially distanced oh, nice. caroling. We're going to keep masks on. We're going to be outside, mm, do all the good. things. But but uh, having gotten the recent news from Rhode Island about how hospitals being at capacity, we're, mm. we're thinking we're probably, yeah, I, I don't know what in-person worship looks like for us for a while. Yeah, We're, we've we took a two week pause, and it looks like the pause will extend for a while. So, um, just yeah. need people to hang in there, and we're we're doing it for all the right reasons. Are you hopeful that things might change someday, Charlie? Jonathan, I am nothing but hopeful, and that's why I can put one foot in front of the other. Oh wow, that feels like a segue, doesn't it? It's a nice segue, isn't it? it feels like being hit by a segue. Actually, I feel like I should make segue bump music. Segway, segway, segway. Yeah. yeah, maybe not like that. But. I don't know. I'll loop it. <laughs> so we're in Advent, aren't we? Yes. And we're and we're thinking about our right. Sundays of Advent. Happy our, New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you. Our, our Advent. <laughs> the, uh, sorry for those that don't know that the lectionary <laughs> no, no. exists. Don't explain it. I Let's won't. just move on. <laughs> There's this thing called a lectionary. No, no. It exists no, no. in an interdimension. We're just going to move on. <laughs> We're Bible geeks. And... <laughs> anyway, yes. Eight years um, of seminary. That's all I've got, Charlie. I know. Fifteen Please. years of seminary. I should have Give something to show this. for it. So, so yes, year B has begun with Advent. Every yeah. year the lectionary refreshes at Advent. It's the beginning of the church year. So pastors walk around smugly saying, Happy New Year to each other, as if anyone else in the world would care. It took me 25 years to get through seminary. Give me that. Fair enough. Um, so Advent, of course, does not follow a three-year cycle. It's the same way every time. It's a yeah. four-week process. Um, we think of Advent as our little Lent time. I love uh, that. A time of reflection and and deepening into the shadows of winter. And we start to engage with these four themes that repeat year after year. The first of the themes is hope. hope. And that's where we were this past Sunday. And so we're going to talk a little more about hope. 
On the horizon is, of course, peace, joy, Mm -hmm. and love. And if you ever forget the order, remember, peace is the pink candle. No. uh, No, no, no. The third Sunday. Joy is the pink candle. How would I dare say that? Right. (laughs) We we have to back up. I can't believe I just did that. (laughs) No, Um, that's, that's staying in, Charlie. Yeah, joy, 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 joy is the third Sunday. Sorry. <laughs> wow, so if you yeah, ever was, forget, just remember. I was a little anxious at that moment, too. I was like, oh, no, yeah, no. did I get it wrong? Well, we had a snafu in our own worship this week, and so that's probably why I did that. But yes, oh, hope, okay. peace, joy, love. Yeah, that's I mean, the four Sundays. 30 years to get through seminary, I, I should know, know at least that. I'll tell you, after my own 40-year walk in the desert, I'm... So, so talk to me about your uh, your experience of hope this Sunday, Jonathan. Well, we it, it's always interesting that the first Sunday of Advent in the lectionary readings, especially in the Gospels, tends to be these apocalyptic readings of look at the signs and look at the fig tree and the sun will be darkened and the, the moon will turn you know maybe not blood red but that you feel like that's where Jesus is going and mm-hmm. you know and be ready and watch out and and then we say but it's hopeful. Yeah. Because the apocalyptic signs have this sense of turmoil and, and, and tremors happening, and you know, and um, you know, it, it, this is a good. It's a good movie script, right? Except just we it haven't is. had a good movie. Um, mm-hmm. And then in the midst of that is hope. So mm-hmm. that that you know that um, that bringing together of those two that that that, her, that dissonance. Why do they do that to us? You know, I th- I think there's some good reasons why. I, I think part of it is. Did you ask? Are you were you sincere and wanting to Absolutely. know? Absolutely. Oh, I didn't know if it was rhetorical. deadly serious. Oh, this what? is the most serious moment of the entire podcast. I will do my best to not crack wise <laughs> in this moment. All right. <laughs> no. So part of it is, Advent is as you said, it's a, a little Lent. It's a penitential time. Yeah. Uh, and and we we tend to think of Advent as getting ready for the birth of Jesus. And yes, it is. But it's also this expectation of the return of Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, most of Christianity, and there are always these outliers, have this this kind of this belief that Jesus will return. Second coming, tribulation, you know, however you want to dice that out, that's up to you. Mm-hmm. But there will be a return of Jesus. And Advent is focused on that as much as it is the birth of Christ. So we say Christus Adventus, Christ come, mm-hmm. Christ be with us. So this penitential expectation, um, you know, calls us to get ready. Uh, this this Advent, I'm not doing it, but in past Advents, I've actually um, fasted. Ah, you know, and I would for the I, whole Advent. Well, I would I gave up. I would always give up um, alcohol. Oh, okay. Which during during the season of Advent can be tricky. It, it can, prov- prov- yeah, it can pose challenges, but yeah. folks who've struggled with alcohol have done it every year. Sure, yeah, but you sobriety, have all the so. parties, and so I would give up alcohol and meat is what I would tend to do during uh-huh. Advent. Uh, you know, okay. when people invite you over for their parties and such, and you say, well, just grape juice for me, thanks. Um, yeah. And in part, I'll, I, I'll I did that. I'll have the sweet potatoes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, please more. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's that idea of I'm preparing, I'm getting ready mm-hmm. for the return of Christ. So that's these signs, I think, really, when, you know, these, this first passage speaks more to that return. It isn't this sense of a baby's coming. It's more of like, I'm coming. Uh, that G- that's Jesus saying. <laughs> yep. um, and, and that's why, and instead of, though, as, as Christians, this shouldn't be a moment when we are filled with fear and trembling, but a moment of hopeful anticipation. 
mm-hmm. um, joyful expectation. Uh, I think should, that's lovely. Yeah. I mean, it should be good when Jesus returns. Ideally. Ideally. But I, but I have to tip my hand and say I asked that question with an answer of my own in tow, so I'm going to add it into the mix So now. I went all that long, and you already knew the answer? I was just waiting for you to stop talking so I could talk. Don't, you've got to interrupt, man. You can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. I, I, I so much agree with all of this, and I, I love the... Uh, the the penitential nature of Advent and the penitential possibility we don't activate mm. on that in all our churches and yeah. I I didn't focus on that this year yeah. and I was just thinking while you were talking about all the meat that we've bought for the holidays that's sitting in the refrigerator <laughs> that if I were to pull a I'm not eating meat now my wife would take my head off at the root um, on the other hand yeah. I think there's another reason why we have passages of apocalyptic expectation. Uh, on the for the Advent Sunday of hope, and I think that is where that is the the most fertile soil mm. to experience hope. Um, when when we're in our day to day lives, we don't really interact with hope yeah. that concretely. It's not it's not even something we address because we don't need it. It doesn't mean that it's not there, right? But it's it's kind of the old. There's no atheists in foxholes. It takes great adversity. Uh, to to bring out a need to to recognize that hope, and this is part of the reason why when people are in crisis, they mm. discover a prayer life. Yeah, yeah. You know, you you turn to God when your own hope stores are depleted because you need extra help. You can't you can't do it on your own, and those re- human resources around you feel like they're failing you or or what have you. And that's part of the reason why I've urged people to continue an active prayer life when you are not in crisis, so that the lines of communication are open when you need them. But but the, mm. for, to have this scripture, the, the scriptures of signs and portents appear on the first Sunday of Advent to me, feels like uh, it's kind of like the magnifying glass that focuses the sun's rays into mm. a concentrated amount. Yeah. You, you need to feel that urgency in order to experience the power of hope in yeah. that setting. So that's perhaps another reason. I wasn't there when the lectionary was put together. I like to think I would have been an asset, but who knows? I might have choked in important moments. But I would have fallen asleep. I'm going to just be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You think church meetings can be dry? Oh, my gosh. When you bring a bunch of pompous try scholars... Try a canonical a formation meeting. Uh, yeah. I would, have just, I would have just checked out immediately. Like, all right, I'm going to nap over here. I think... And uh, there's so Jurgen Moltmann, who we're going to hear from a little bit later as well, and uh, good old Jurgen, yeah, good old Jurgen, spelled J U umlaut R G E N M O L T M A N N, two N's, so good. The he extra needed two. N just makes it nice. It really does. I love the yeah. extra N. Um, mm. He talks about he talks about hope. He really writes a lot a lot about it, and and he emphasizes the difference in a hope. Of you know a, a kind of like a wistful hope. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to try to make. I'm going to. I'm going to go outside of my wheelhouse here, Charlie, and I'm going to try to make a sports reference right now, if, if I may. <gasps> oh, okay. Brace yourself, folks. Here it comes. So, and, Jonathan. Yeah, I know. This is wielding the sports. Yeah, let's see how we do. Um, so one might say, I hope the Jets win the Super Bowl this year. No, no, wait, wait stop. Okay, just stop. <laughs> Even I know enough about sports to know that we're in New England, Jonathan. You can't. You can't say that. Oh, I'm sorry. Is you obviously have to say, I hope the Patriots. Well, but the oh. point is, the have Jets we just are alienated doing, half, a, half apparently, from what I understand, 
the Jets are doing so badly. That Not they, worse than the Patriots at the moment, I'm sure. Worse than the Patriots. Wow. Yeah, oh, sorry, they, Jets fans. They won't even make this thing. I guess there's this thing that happens in the football world where they have what's called off-playing. No, playoffs. Off play. Playoffs. Oh, uh, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a thing. <laughs> oh, man. That was good. That was good. Um, good so the Jets won't moment. even make it into the playoffs. Like, they're just that bad. So to say, I hope oh. the Jets win the Super Bowl this year, that's a wistful hope. That's Understood. not going to happen. Oh, that's right. Your point about wistfulness. We're, and we're back. Okay. There we go. I don't care about New England. I'm sure they're going to be great. Go mm-hmm. whoever. What is our, what's the name of their team? The, pa- the, pa- the Patriots. Oh, the Patriots. Okay. I New keep England calling them Patriots. the Redcoats for some reason. Um, well, I'm, I'm sure they're going to be great. So that's a wistful hope. That's not the kind of hope that we find in our faith. Moltmann says that it's, it's a hope in a promise that is assured. Mm-hmm. And, and that's different. So the hope of the return of Christ or the hope that God will be with us in our times of distress or the hope that when we pray, it means something, that's, that's um, a hope of faith. He has better words for it that I just don't remember right now, but he, he really writes about that, this, this robust kind of hope that we find steeped in our Christianity. That's lovely. I, I think um, he's, of, I'm trying to remember of the theologians I interacted with at seminary, I, I tend to remember his writing style as a little more accessible than yeah. some of the others, in, obviously in translation. But uh, Jurgen is one that you might you might actually uh, dig into on your own, listeners. Yeah, he's um, he's known for his his big book is called The Crucified God, mm-hmm. uh, but he also has the Theology of Hope, which really fits with what we're saying. It uh, does. Yeah, you know, and in fact. Uh, you know, if, if you came to Charlie or myself and said, I'd like to have a reading group where we go through one of Moltmann's books, we would be thrilled. Mm. Right, Charlie? Yeah, we would. Yeah. Those aren't the kind of books people come to me and want me to read with them. No, I know. So that's why we <laughs> At least excited. not in the past. But today, had, this week... I've had more, more requests. The, the book I was most requested to start a book group about, and so I did, was called The Shack. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. It's fine. Yeah. We had a lot of interesting theological discussions about things that we can neither prove nor disprove nor anything with no evidence for any of it in the world. But if it engaged someone, then I'm grateful we did it. Yeah. Um, you, you have to enter into things like that with some measure of hope. Or nice. you will you will just hang in the short <laughs> term. <laughs> what did you what did you end up doing with hope this past Sunday? Well, this past Sunday, um, we actually had a I had an object lesson built into the um, message because at Pilgrim Church, we do this thing where we do family traditions. Uh, so mm. as we light the Advent candle, a family of the church gets up and shares Christmas traditions and talks about what they do at Christmas and what their favorite memories of Christmas are, that sort of thing. Oh, that's lovely. So we had done that as a family, and I had, I had taken my phone and dutifully went to each member of the family and said, tell me your favorite Christmas tradition or memory. And and I did that with a sense, you know, some people might hope mm. that their family members would come up with something that would be spiritually uplifting and edifying <laughs> and inspiring for the people. Sure, yeah, naturally. I have a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 12-year-old child in my family. And so, honestly, my hope was simply that they would all participate. Yeah. 
That they might say something. That they might say anything, that there was anything that they would be willing to share into a microphone. Think about the 13-year-olds in your life. How many of them rush forward to grab a microphone and speak about their personal experiences? So in light of that, my son uh, came up with a reflection about a toy, uh, a Lego set that he had been given Mm. uh, on a Christmas, a Kylo Ren starship that he had put together over the course of a day. He remembers it being nighttime when he finally finished with it. So he spent the entire day building this thing. Oh, wow. And then he's at the top of the stairs. He carries it downstairs, and he's a quarter of the way down when something distracts him. His hands slip, and the set makes its way the entire way down the stairs without his assistance. Oh, geez. So if you know anything about Legos, it was a uh, shattered, explosive mess oh, no. all down the stairs. A trail of brokenness that he then had to walk through and pick up sobbing and crying. Oh. The end. That was the story that he shared. Wow. There, where's the hope? <laughs> okay. So what was my original hope? That, Do you know that he that, would be willing to share a story at all? Oh, that's true. Do you know that in that? I want to just reiterate Go ahead. That, or empathize with your son. There are one thousand five pieces <laughs> in the Kylo Ren starship. Yes, there are. So this was non-trivial, a non-trivial trauma. event. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Right, yeah, so, I mean, we were walking on the pieces for weeks. I bet. Um, oh, finding them in the in the counting them one thousand four. Where's the but, last piece? Right. So where's the hope in that? Well, there, there wasn't a lot of hope for Kylo Ren's starship at that mm-hmm. moment, although it was rebuilt. It was rebuilt. And oh, yeah. I, I was hopeful that, that he might learn a lesson mm. about walking down the stairs with delicate things. And he was eight years old at the time. Oh, and yeah. I was hopeful that he might learn learn lessons of how how things sometimes things that go wrong can be put back together right. figuratively and literally. On the other hand... He told a story. Mm. My yeah. son set it up. He led us through the emotions of being excited about the playset. He talked about how he was bringing it downstairs with hope and expectation to show us. And then it all went wrong and broke. And then he eventually comes to a place where he's, he's able to, to even speak about it and talk about it. Yeah. But that yeah. storytelling, storytelling is something that never gets old in our culture. It's something we never stop. We're engaged in it right now. Jonathan and I are sharing stories of how we addressed hope in our congregations this past week. And so there's always power and possibility for the people when they can tell stories Mm. about their experiences. And we are in the midst of something right now, a vast pandemic that Mm -hmm. we are dealing with, that we we are only beginning to hear the real stories about. And many of the important stories of this time we're not going to know for a long time. It'll yeah. be 10 years from now that we're able to look back. The way that we currently look back on 9-11, mm-hmm. and we've decided that these are the stories of that traumatic experience that edify us and help us to, to live in the aftermath. Well, likewise, we're learning the stories that will see us through this time, and, and we only begin to glimpse them now. And my son will understand the world through his ability to tell stories about his experiences. So I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm mm-hmm. hopeful in the midst of that, in spite of the fact yeah. that it may look like he tried some measure of sabotage in the story that he presented. <laughs> that's, that's not the whole story. That's great. I love that, um, that view of it, Charlie, because I probably would have just gone to like, that's the story? Come on. Come up with something better. 
Well, it is also the story of being 13 years old and being asked to present something. And maybe he did share that story thinking, ha-ha, if I've got to do this, at least I can do it my way and make it dark and awful and whatever. But who knows? I, Who knows? I want to, you know, I want to encourage people because we are in a place where hope is such a commodity that is needed right now. Yeah. Because I know, as you said, like Rhode Island is now starting to use their field hospitals. The numbers are just not good with the virus. Um, yeah, the amount of deaths that we're enduring as a nation and as mm-hmm. the world, it's not good. We're not in a good place. And That's true. And this is when, you know, hope is so needed and not this fleeting hope, the hope that Things will change. No wistful hope. I, I think I, I want to encourage our listeners to tell each other stories of other moments that were hopeful in their lives. Wonderful. I think yeah. that, that's such a great, that, that you, know, um, you know, embracing the storytelling, the narrative. Um, you know, yeah, like remember, you know, think back to another time when you were in distress or worried, and it, it could be trivial in your mind or big. And where's the hope? I hear the hope in that is your the parents, you know, to your son didn't say like, "You moron, what were you thinking?" I'm sure that your response was, "Oh no, let us help you. Let us, you know, try to recreate this this thing." Oh and- come on, pick up your own Legos. Stop <laughs> whining. <laughs> I step on one more Lego. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Which is so. That's in my mind. That's the bigger picture. Yeah. Um, Telling stories is is part of how we gain and reclaim our hope. It's yeah. it's so important. I was uh, one of the examples, or I used this week was talking about. Um, we just got news of a birth uh, in our extended friend circle mm-hmm. of someone that that had a new infant into the world, and one of the questions they keep getting asked over and over is, "Why would you have a child now?" No, they didn't. Why would you? Oh, why yeah. would you have an infant now? And I said, this is exactly the question that people asked each other when infants were being born during the Great Depression. Yeah, yeah. Think about all those things. You know, and here's kind of a macabre way to frame it. But think about your relatives who died a year ago, or four years ago, mm. or ten years ago, who never knew that there was anything called coronavirus. Yeah who never knew that we were in a COVID-19 pandemic, their lives were full of struggles and world-ending events. For 13 days in the 1960s, two countries stood on the brink of nuclear annihilation. Yeah. The world was going to end. Everybody at that time knew it. And it didn't. Yeah. We came through to the other side. I, I think it's just such a... It's important to share these stories yeah. where hopelessness was the order of the day, and we came through to our our power and joy again together. You know, before we go to prayer, can I can I offer a little scripture? Oh, hey, I I love it when you offer scripture, Jonathan. Please, well, yeah, because usually you do. You're much better at that than I am. Well, I I don't know. Those forty years in seminary top my thirty five. <laughs> That's why. Um, this is from the uh, much maligned book of Revelation. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, but if you want to think about... Maligned hope, in certain traditions. In certain traditions, right. And, um, but Re- Revelation 21, which is one of my favorite passages, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I, I encourage people to look to this for a sense of hope. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. And for the first things have passed away. Mm. That for me is, that's the hope that I anticipate, that I know is promised through my faith. And use your, folks, use your touchstones of faith like this. If you've got a passage like this, you don't, don't, don't worry to the, to the what's and why fors of, you know, who wrote Revelation, why it's there, why it doesn't sound like the rest of the Bible, yada, yada, yada. Just sometimes you just need scripture at face value to speak to you in the, in the way that it speaks to you that's helpful. So I, I, yeah, that's a glorious passage. Yeah. I love it. Absolutely Absolutely wonderful. Full of hope. Yeah. I have it tattooed on my back. Oh, well, see, there it is. And I put so it when reverse, Jonathan passes so can, you in yeah, a marathon. I, well, so only so when I look at it, my back in the mirror, then I can read it. So it's all in reverse. Uh-huh. So it doesn't That's help anyone. a Stephen else. Wright level of tattoo joke. <laughs> For those that don't remember the, the popular in the oh, 80s so comedian good. Stephen Wright, he had a dry deadpan delivery. Everything he said was like this. And he once said, I'll paraphrase, yeah. I got a tattoo of myself on my entire body. Only slightly larger. <laughs> I mean, he just had these. Yeah he, yeah, he also said something along the lines of like, I bought a map of the United States. It's to scale. It's to scale. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, with the Stephen Wright note. homage, <laughs> why don't we move into a time of prayer? Sounds good to me. And um, as Charlie knows, I found this, you know, these two quotes from Jurgen Moltmann that I think uh, will just kind of bring everything together so nicely. Lovely. So uh, let's pray. God, we are in a place of anticipation and expectation uh, because of suffering that we are enduring, because of frustration that we have, because you know, life is not what we want it to be. With the virus, without the virus, this is a part of, of being human. But we hold to a hope that you are with us, that you do not abandon us, that you guide us through each moment. May we cling to the reality of your hope, of your presence, and let the fleeting hopes fall away so that we can find the truth in the faith we have with you. God, grant us hope when we can't produce it ourselves and help us to remember that sometimes your words of hope will come in the voices of others. So when we are feeling that sense of hopelessness, Lord, help us not to do it in isolation, but to reach out to tell and hear stories, and to continue to grow in our sense of the return of your son coming again at Christmas. And from Jürgen Moltmann, Totally without hope, one cannot live. To live without hope is to cease to live. Hell is hopelessness. It is no accident that above the entrance to Dante's hell is the inscription, Leave behind all hope, you who enter here. God weeps with us, so that we may one day laugh with him. Amen. Amen. I love Moltmann's writing style in the beginning there. It sounds like he's the Yoda philosopher. I know, right? Isn't that? That's so good. It works really well. Yeah. If you read other German philosophers, they do not write. It's not always so easy to read. Like, for, for some reason, you find yourself reading Karl Barth, and I don't know why you would. Um, <laughs> Touche. Just, it's, it's just not an easy read. Most, most philosophy and theology suffer in translation. In, in yeah. my experience, German translates 
so beautifully into so many works of fiction. Yeah. Um, but the but the theology and philosophy I've read in translation from the German is often tortured yeah. uh, in the way it reads. But Moltmann, there's there's something, there's an accessibility to it that, yeah. that's really sweet. I feel like I should say, yeah, Karl Barth is actually, he has some really good stuff. I shouldn't be so critical. Barth Bart is a B-A-R-T-H, Barth, Karl Barth, uh, yeah. is, a, is a philosopher who, um, I'm sorry, theologian, who's deeply adopted by those who adopt him. Um, I, I had got the, had the pleasure of studying with uh, George Hunsinger, who's done oh, a yeah, lot with Carl Barth. Yeah. Um, but I, I did an Augustine class with him on the City of God, which yeah. was... Oh, wow. It must have been fantastic. Oh, that we read the entire thing in two weeks, John. Wow. 160 pages a night. I've never read faster. Wow. That's um, incredible. It was challenging. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. So anyway, I hope... Uh, I hope. I'm going to just I say... Hope. I'm I hope hopeful it's been helpful. for your week, listeners. I'm yeah, and we'll, and we'll address peace next time. So so prepare for your Sunday of peace, and we'll talk about it. We'll deconstruct our peaceful uh, negotiations with Scripture and see where we wind up. Uh, there's nothing that excites me more than peaceful deconstruction. There it is. <laughs> All right, everyone, All be right. well. Take care. Bye. Kitchen Table Spirituality is a part of the 12 Enough Network. You can find notes for this episode and other episodes at 12enough.com. Comments about this episode or anything else can be sent to 12enough at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Facebook at Facebook slash 12enough. And as always, 12 is fully written out. Please rate and like the show on iTunes. It really helps us out. And as always, thank you very much for listening. Segway, segway, segway.